I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. Since I had you here, and since Patrick and I just we had the same experience together, I wanted to talk about the Joker movie. Uh, insofar as Mike wants to talk about it, it's it's interesting. Um, I, well, let's. I, I think I think I, what I am more interested in. I mean, I'm interested in what you're up to say. What I'm more interested in is I believe that the divergent opinion might be from Patrick because Patrick had, I think, the complete opposite reaction that I did. And I think I'm closer to you, Mike. Okay. Have I talked to you about my opinion about it before? No. No. Okay. I I adored it. I, I thought it was incredible. I haven't seen a... I've seen a lot of comic book movies. I've never seen a comic book film is what this made me realize. And I thought as a character study of of the Joker, it was really cool. I liked a lot of the concepts, and I thought Joaquin Phoenix was just on another level. It, it's one of the one of the best performances I've ever seen. I can I can I want to start with positive things to say about it because I I have some things that I don't I'd say they're negative, but I'm very conflicted about this movie. Um, and it's not from a sort of place of nerd fundamentalism where it's not true enough to the source material. I don't really care about that. I'm sort of in a place right now when it comes to comic book films that we have so many, you know, um, loyal to the, the source material type movies that that's not the thing governing my feeling anymore. And I like when things kind of jump the track and do their own thing. I like that this movie, for instance, is not tied to a shared universe. I like that it's not trying to create something that is compatible with another movie. Um, I think Joaquin Phoenix's performance is incredible in this movie. Yeah, hands down. Is I, the, this movie wouldn't, if it were placed in the hands of another actor, it would not have worked. Jared Leto is apparently very upset that they didn't <laughs> give it to him. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I just don't think he could have done it. I, d- I don't think he could have either. I think that what you have with Joaquin Phoenix is someone who really went all in and is committed to this in a way that few actors would have been. I mean, like Keanu in The Matrix committed to this, um, to the point that he clearly lost a lot of weight and looks really unhealthy in this movie. Um, I like the fact that it's probably one of the best recreations of the sort of late 70s, early 80s, Scorsese, New York, that sort of scuzzy neon where every street is is covered in like, you know, prostitutes and pimps and neon signs. You say that, but that we have to reiterate the fact that this does not take place in New York. No, no, it's it's Gotham City, but it's it's very much based on Scorsese, sort of a a New York that you saw in something like Taxi Driver, where there are just people with their sleeves ripped off with switchblades and, you know. You know, the sort of kind of the dirty, hairy, cat calling bad guys are like, where are you going? You know, pulling out your knife. And it's, <laughs> there's a lot of that kind of vibe. And it it feels very authentic in a way that a lot of movies like this feel very gimmicky. Um, my problem with the movie is I don't think it really commits to a theme in the way that I feel that it kind of, it wants to be a big, important movie about a lot of ideas, but I think the ideas kind of shoot out in all these different directions. And I think that Joaquin Phoenix gave his character a lot more thought than the writer and director did Todd Phillips. And that 
there are times that I'm like, well, what is this movie actually about? What is it? What is it trying to say? And it has about five things to say. And I, I don't really know how to feel like on one level, you could say this is a story about kind of the cruelty of austerity measures and that we, we throw these people away. And this is the sort of the, the downside of what you do with the underclass of society that they're going to rise up and try to kill you. And that there's this kind of class disparity happening, but at the same time, um, the lead character doesn't seem to care ideologically about any of that, that it's not part of his arc. So it kind of confuses me there. Except um, that he's created by those circumstances. Yeah. He may not care. He may not, he may say that I'm not political several times in the movie, but it is the, the entire focus of the movie is talking about how him being a forgotten man and being from a, being a, from a broken home, uh, and being in a world that is indifferent creates mm-hmm. him. But at the same time, he's not – he doesn't care about the things that those protesters care about. Sure. Even, thing, even though he starts the movement, right? Yeah. that We have sort of a death wish situation where he's just been fired from his job because – this is the part that I found kind of strange. I was talking to my girlfriend Piper about this, is that he's like a clown for hire. Where he's not a clown that has a regular master, he's a clown Ronin, <laughs> who is hired out by various people who, for whatever reason, need a clown that day. So at one point he's spinning, um, you know, everything must go type sign outside of a business, and then he's sent to a children's hospital. Um, so he's just kind of, it's like in, in Back to the Future where Doc Brown has that scientist 24-hour services. So there's just somebody who's like, oh my god, I need a scientist. You know, in this case, I need the, a clown. The yellow page is under S. Yes. You're just looking for a, a clown for hire, and he just does just about anything. Anyways, he gets fired because he's gotten beaten up enough that he starts carrying a handgun that his a coworker gives him. And it falls out of his pocket while he's dancing for kids at a children's hospital, <laughs> which I thought was one of the more well-done sequences. Of course, yes. he gets fucking fired because that's not cool. <laughs> um, that's why you carry a backpack, folks. <laughs> you keep your gun in the backpack. <laughs> but um, he kills a couple of um, – I guess this is sort of like – this is their way of, in a Death Wish sort of scenario, of getting around in what a vigilante film would have as the sort of uncomfortable, kind of ultra-conservative, sort of adjacent to racism type portrayal of inner city crime that you get in movies like Death Wish, where you have a fairly well-to-do middle-aged white man shooting at young uh, hippies and uh, African-Americans on subways, and they kind of turn that on its head by having these be like stockbrokers that work for Thomas Wayne who start messing with this woman, um, Joker, Arthur Fleck in this one is not getting involved. I think she kind of throws a pleading look at him, but he just decides to not do that. But he has this nervous tick where whenever he sort of feels emotional angst, it comes out as this involuntary laughter that seems to cause him pain that sets these guys off and gives that woman time to run away. And these stockbroker guys just beat the fuck out of him until he pulls out that gun he had and just straight up murders him. This starts a movement where the the people who are dressing up like clowns in public now um, are kind of creating this version of who this guy was and why he killed these stockbrokers on the, and they're going in a totally different track than, than what Arthur Fleck is. And that's part of one of my issues is that it never quite feels like any of that social commentary has anything to do with his arc where his arc is mm. more about the need to have some kind of validation from the universe that he exists 
whether and that's why he has these sort of imagined friendships with like the uh, Robert De Niro character who appears on television um, where he sort of imagines that, oh, that guy is actually he could be my friend. He would notice me in the crowd and would invite me up and I'd be this and and I would be sort of accepted that somebody from up high would notice me. And when he sort of starts this angry kill the rich, which is which is really weird kind of movement that happens. He's just happy that something he did is making people do something to acknowledge that he exists in some way. Um, so it's kind of weird. Like there's these two tracks that sort of happen and we never really develop the thing that, that is happening with this movie. There's kind of going to occupy wall street movement that's happening. And when it, the face of that movement is now this sociopathic killer. The thing that kind of scares me is it adds this class angle to what will eventually be Batman, which is a little weird that a son of a slain rich man is now beating up the symbol of Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> and I don't think the director thought this through a well, little bit. They had they had a really weird there was, you know, obviously Bruce Wayne as a boy is a character in this because Thomas Wayne and his mother is a character in this. Martha, I guess, is her name. Where do you know that name? Where do you know that? Is that at one point in time, uh, Thomas Wayne is saying he is going to run for mayor of Gotham because he's the only one that can help. And that compulsion to believe that you are the only one that can help is exactly the same, some would say, delusion that Batman operates under. So it's weird that this movie, I don't know, is Thomas, is, Wayne, is is Thomas that- Wayne a paragon or is mm-hmm. Thomas Wayne a corrupt businessman? But that, that's the subversion of this, right? Is that they turn a character which is, I, I'm not, super familiar with Batman, but my understanding, he's a paragon in, in the source material, but in this, they turn him into Mitt Romney. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where he is, he, he the, you know, the class struggles of Gotham are, you know, have, are really stark and extreme. And there are people who are struggling just to exist. And there are people who live in the lap of luxury. And this is somebody who, you know, has, ha, owns the world and says, don't worry, everyone. I can, you know, there, there are all these people who are just moochers and, and, you know, don't really want to work and don't know what they want to be. And I can save us all because he has that sort of messianic thing that rich people get that, they, you know, uh, that I worked hard for what I have and I understand how to fix everyone's problems and I'm I'm the solution. Uh, and that you as the audience recognize that it's a, it's a false, you know, sort of megalomaniacal thing. He's not, to whatever his intentions, he's not going to actually help all of the struggling character, you know, tertiary characters that you see in this, he's not going to reopen the social services that uh, make it so that the Joker can't get his medication or get any therapy or support anymore. Um, and so I, I see the what happens with the social movement where people are reacting. You know, the sort of the Joker hangers on who are reacting violently is out happening in parallel. That story development, but they both start from the same place, which is a society that is just full of downtrodden and that uh there are people who are paying the paying a price that they don't really owe um and that their austerity measures and other things are making it hard for them just to get through their days uh whereas there's extreme wealth and privilege in, in other areas of society uh that creates the i think that the anger of the, of the joker crew is justified uh and also that terrible desperation helps to combined with the mental illness and everything else, they create a really relatable story for how how a character who doesn't... The Joker doesn't start off seeming bad, and you understand how he's driven to, to further and further extremes. And he has... What I loved about this film is that you get to see 
a, a villain go through the hero's journey and become mm. go from being uh, just an, an ordinary slob who you know can't catch a break and is kind of awkward and unsure of himself to becoming truly self-actualized into you know he he's always meant to be the Joker and you can see the vitality and just the life in him once he finds his true calling what? murdering exactly that's right <laughs> well I my my, my uh, opinion to you right after we saw it was is that it's very difficult for a movie like this and a lot of movies Mike and I had a discussion about Ad Astra and I had the same thought which is it is very difficult once you have seen movies that are foundational to a film to a filmmaker's interpretation of a script like this it's very difficult to not have that very much color the way you look at it and so this movie, Todd Phillips's Joker, wears a lot of its influence in Sonnet Sleeve. We talked about Taxi Driver. There's a lot of The King of Comedy, which was another yeah. Scorsese movie. There is a, actually a lot in whether or not it was Todd Phillips's idea or whether it was Joaquin Phoenix. There's a lot of a movie that he was in a couple of years ago called I Was Never Really Here, where Joaquin Phoenix plays a very similar character who is an assassin who lives with his elderly mother who needs a lot of help. Um, and he goes through a lot of pain including the death of his mother not at his own not oh i won't say i won't say i won't spoil anything um he goes through a lot of the same arcs and has this same you as the audience have this the same effect of looking at this incredibly broken guy who's capable of intense violence and there's something that is incredibly riveting about what kind of danger lies beneath the surface of this character so for me it's hard to look at joker and say wow it's so amazing and original because i can see the dna of this movie coming from other places yeah um and that that a pastiche movies can still be great my biggest problem is is i think just like how every time you have a star wars movie you have to obligatorily throw throw in lightsabers and r2d2 and c3po or something um this movie has to show bruce wayne this movie has to show Alfred. It has to show the murder of it, his parents. Yeah. And again, we see uh, Batman's mom's pearls go the, flying yeah, pearls. everywhere. Thank you, Tim Burton. Um, well, that was Frank Miller who invented oh, it. Oh, was it Frank Miller? Yeah. I thought it was Burton who it was, it first. Uh, I believe the first time the pearls showed up was in Dark Knight Returns in the 80s. Oh. They were picked up in the Burton movie and then used again in the Nolan movie and then used again in Batman v Superman yeah. and now used again now. <laughs> the pearls, man. I Whatever the they do with the next Batman reboot they're doing with uh, Robert Pattinson, I have... I have two things that I want out of that movie. Only two things. I want no gruff Batman voice and no Batman's mom's pearls. <laughs> That's all I want. I just just don't do those two things and I can live with anything. My thought here is, and uh, I've heard you, Patrick's take on it is, I think this movie could have worked just as well if the character wasn't the Joker, that it would took place in New York City, not Gotham City, and you didn't need to have... Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne, and other ancillary people who are... It could easily have been a story about a Bernie Getz-style person who... I would have enjoyed it a lot more, I that, think. I, I think the needing to push it into the, into the sort of Batman story, I think makes us have those obligatory things that you know about and also breaks the breaks Gotham City in a little bit. You want Gotham City to not be like the the real New York City. It's like how you don't want to insert Superman into the real world because sometimes Superman makes friends with Jared from Subway and it looks really <laughs> embarrassing when you look look back on it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like 
if Superman existed in the real world, the problems that Superman would probably not be able to solve would be, oh, I don't know, political corruption. Like, Superman's not going to be able to fix that. So don't make the world too realistic. I, don't I, make Gotham City too much like New York in the 1981. I think a lot know? of it, too, though, is that the, sort of the weight of all the Batman stuff on it. I think hurts it because it changes the scope of what I'm supposed to believe about this character, that he's a remarkably vulnerable character who has these just these flashes of violence in him, this uh, ability to sort of feel the charge from violence and the fact that people notice him when he's violent, but he's not the kind of violent that needs a Batman to deal with it. It seems like a couple of larger cops could could tackle him to the ground and do. So it's a little bit weird, but when you add Batman into his future, it just seems like a rich guy bullying a mentally ill guy. (laughs) And I don't think that that's intentional. I don't think that that's what Todd Phillips is going for. And I also worry that a lot of the stuff that we're seeing uh, comes from Joaquin Phoenix being really good at his job and filling in a lot of the gaps in the script and us just, projecting our own it could be about this it could be about that on the script because the script kind of pulls in a lot of directions like it it throws in a lot of the occupy wall street antifa sort of vibe to it which is sort of protesters that are really angry about a class divide and the fact that poor people get fucked in the world and rich people get to just dress in fancy clothes and watch movies and uh not really think about the I, fact that everyone else is drowning in garbage. I actually really like that as a visual, as a way to visualize the divide, uh, as having people in in white tux or, you know, white ties and black tuxes watching a Charlie Chaplin movie in a giant movie theater. But like I guess, an opulent movie theater. I guess what I'm saying, though, is that the, 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 the way that the, like the Antifa slash Occupy Wall Street people were sort of defined is it feels like the lens through which somebody like Ted Cruz sees them a little Hmm. bit where it's not just like, Hey, social services are cut and I'm drowning in garbage and super rats can bite me. It's more like, (laughs) it just, they're just like cheering that a couple of stockbrokers were murdered and it, it goes way beyond. It's, it's kind of the way that these people on TV talk about Bernie Sanders as if he's like, like, Trying, you know, so it's like, oh, he just hates rich people. He's coming to get my money. And he just, he says that billionaires shouldn't exist. That means he wants me dead. And it's like, no, that's not what he's saying. But that's what the people in this movie are saying, where they have signs that say literally kill the rich. <laughs> and it feels like this is what Jeff Bezos thinks Antifa it, is. Yeah. And that part of it feels a little bit weird. And I don't think it's intentional. I don't think Todd Phillips is trying to make a right-wing movie. I think he's trying to make a movie that has a lot of cool ideas, and he has a very superficial idea of what all these individual parts are, and they have these unintentional sort of implications that I don't think he thought through. Like the fact that the the way that Occupy Wall Street exists in Gotham City is, let's kill rich people, let's kill rich people. And it's... it. You know what? I wouldn't feel bad if Thomas Wayne fell down the stairs, but I don't want him to be <laughs> murdered in an alleyway either. You know, it's it. He seems like a bit of an like you said, the Mitt Romney style asshole who's dismissive of. Oh, you're. It's, and again, I'm going to piss somebody off with this, but I have never met a conservative in my life who didn't, to some extent, harbor the belief that everyone with less than them was somehow lazy and at fault of their own poverty. And that's, that's the key feature of Thomas Wayne in this movie, which is 
I earned that. You didn't do anything with yourself. And um, it's weird because it sort of projects that in a, in a somewhat way onto Bruce Wayne, too, which yeah. adds this really uncomfortable class element to Batman that I think Batman's stories have to work really hard yeah. to avoid that it's not about a rich guy who could just build a bunch of hospitals with his money, but is instead buying bat-themed jets <laughs> and smoke bombs <laughs> and goes out at night and be- beats up poor people and the mentally ill. And, you know, that's a really ugly, ugly thing that this isn't just Mitt Romney with an animal fetish. <laughs> and when you put it there, it's it's really uncomfortable. And maybe that's a good thing, but I don't even know if, if Todd Phillips intended that. I, I think that that already, that criticism of Batman existed well before this movie. Sure, of which, course. Which is, yeah, that you have somebody with all, hmm. this, with all this wealth and power who uses it to play dress up and is enforcing a, a brutal status quo, a, a, you know, uh, Sometimes against people who are poor and struggling and, and mentally ill. That that already, I think that's something you have to contend with in Batman well before the Joker movie comes well, out. My my issue is again, it's the don't make it too close to the real world because in truth, the political economy that makes Thomas Wayne's wealth is what also creates the ter- terrible conditions behind that Gothamites have to suffer. So don't include that as part of the movie. Uh, it, I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be a shadow of itself. I think it would be still be uh, that movie could be worth making. It could be you know make a new taxi driver. I think is great. But see, but and, I, and that's maybe where I come back is is why do you you don't need to make a new taxi driver? You end up with the the Bruce Willis version of Death Wish. You don't need to make another King of Comedy. You don't just because I, I the reason why this works, the reason why this movie works, and I think it works really well is I think almost entirely couched in how good Joaquin Phoenix is. Yeah, I think that's, that if you that's take, it. If you took Joaquin Phoenix out of this movie, I think it would drop two full letter grades because his commitment to it, I think he imbued it with more meaning and, and thematic strength than I think the script did. I think because he took it more seriously, the project of getting into this guy's head than, than the movie did. And that this performance, he's probably carrying about 70% of the weight of the movie. Well, he's, he's in like 90% of the, the shots, right? Yeah. Like he, he, he's never, he never leaves the screen. So of course it relies on his shoulders but I don't think that the the script was doing it blindly. I think it's a I think it's a character study, and I I found it to be well constructed. It is it's a really difficult thing. I, to I take. think it's one of the best character studies that I've seen in recent years. Uh, but but to to take in you you dislike the fact that it's it's trying to put Batman in the real world, and that's a challenging to try and do it uh, to to make these characters that are so cartoonish. And to to couch them in a way that feels like they could exist in our world, or that justifies them somehow, using the the rules of of our of our reality, is a really difficult project. And I thought that they did an admirable admirable job. That uh, you needed it to you need him to be the Joker because you have to know where he ends up right from the start, or else you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna fall too much in love with this 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 you know struggling guy who just has miles and miles of heart and you know is, is is scrapping and and really cares about trying to make people laugh and bring happiness and has a, is has a lot of personal but does he that's the yeah. thing I, I i think i it always felt like that was an excuse at the beginning of the movie that he says that but it's almost like he just he doesn't understand people or what is funny that's why mm. you see him at the comedy show and he doesn't seem to understand when he's supposed to laugh 
like he's so detached from everyone else. Oh, his sense of humor is is completely twisted, yeah. absolutely, from the, from and, the start of the film. But it, it never feels like he really wants to do things for people. It's like he just wants to be noticed. That d- trying to make people happy is just a way of trying to get the universe to validate that he's a real person, mm. and that when he drops a pebble in the river, that there's some kind of ripple, and that he matters in some way. And if they had doubled down on that, on the idea of... um I can matter and I can have an impact and people will notice that I exist if I commit atrocities and sort of, it's like there is, there is the, the stuff for a movie there and I don't feel like it really commits to it. I don't know if it's just that Joaquin Phoenix noticed that and rushed onto it because the script is kind of piecemeal. And that's the part is it feels like it just needs another draft. But as far as like, like realism goes, uh, the superhero medium um, as, as a genre is really fragile. It's ridiculous and crazy. And if you're not careful, a lot of fascistic sort of elements can come into it. The idea of I'm a person who is acting above the law using violence to impose my version of what I think the world should be generally on people who are less powerful than me. Um, and I don't have accountability because nobody knows who I really am. And comics kind of have to flee from that. And you have to put things in place that distract you from those ugly realities because it, it ultimately was a, a, a genre created for children. It is sort of a children's idea of what right and wrong is, that this person is robbing the bank or threatening somebody or being a bully. And then this other strong person comes in and instead of being a bully, they protect weak people from that. Or they feel the world is unfair and this person has the strength to do something about it. Like a lot of the early Superman stories, he's fighting like slumlords and abusive husbands and like crooked mine owners and stuff. It's it's very kind of, you know, socialisty Superman. And the thing with we learned with, um, I think, Batman Year One by Frank Miller and David Mazzuchelli is that there's a line at which if you cross it and you get bring too much ugly adult realism into a children's uh, uh, story method, in you know, a genre, that it starts to fray and it starts to crack. And I think Batman Year One is about as realistic and grounded as you can make Batman without breaking it. And if you go any further over it, like say Watchmen, Watchmen, the whole point of it was to put ugly things like, oh, impotence and, uh, you know, the need to, to hurt other people because that's how I get off or the ugly realities of politics and global nuclear war and all these things that adults worry about. And these other adults thinking that they can just put on a costume and punch evil and then problems will go away. And that story is about ultimately how none of this actually works, that there are gray problems that you can't punch and make them go away. And you just stand there looking silly because you can't do anything except you're impotent in an even worse way because now you're wearing essentially a children's costume. And... I, I worry that, I mean, in Watchmen's sake, that was the point. It was saying a really kind of pointed thing about superheroes and the limitations of the genre. But I, I worry with Joker that it's starting to make cracks, but it doesn't want to make cracks. Because if the goal was, like you said, 
I want to break Batman. I want to point out all of the problems with Batman as a character, the fact that it is a rich guy imposing his will on the poor and the mentally ill, and that Thomas Wayne is a piece of shit. If that was the goal, then congratulations, but I don't I don't feel that was the goal. I feel like it was a, a something that happened along the way on accident that I, Todd I, Phillips didn't in, intend it. I feel like there was a way to to uh, bridge these gaps. I feel like and they they had it as an element in the movie. So there are there are whole sequences where you find out you find out later that they're fantasies. So he's he's living in he has a few instances of where something is happening and then you cut back and he's having a daydream. He's these these things that you thought were happening weren't actually happening. So the world that you are seeing through his eyes are the way that he needs them to be. And so in some way you you could have constructed this character in that the sort of the machine that he was raging against in this movie that Arthur Fleck was raging against was just a a delusional delusions in his own mind like uh the the quote relationship unquote between him and Thomas Wayne was is one of those examples it, you could have instead of creating this huge like mob uh, mob cla- uh, classist um, sort of anti-establishment mob that was okay with killing people. It could have just been something that was in his mind mm-hmm. and as the justification for him being the Joker. But we are, like I said, we're breaking the reality to have it, have him have that kind of validation that he needs when you have the stuff to make it that. Joker is delusional. The world, it, it could be where he sees Thomas Wayne as the thing that's causing the problems, but really you could have had Thomas Wayne trying to solve the problems instead of looking like a rich aloof egomaniacal asshole you know yeah i didn't you didn't get the other side of it there was no i think i told you too there was joker without the moral pole of p-o-l-e of batman on the other side is difficult because who's the only one who espouses the problem with joker it's murray it's uh, robert de niro's character who gets a chance to sit down with him and tell him you're screwed like you're fucked up like this is not this is not the way that you should be you are disturbed and then he he is taken care of he is taken out of the equation he joker does not get the other side of him to balance it out and so in that respect he is the hero he's not even an anti-hero he's a hero which that's that's also problematic as well yeah i don't i i I wouldn't necessarily go there i think the movie does a good job of up front making you uncomfortable with a lot of the stuff he does that I think that is he sympathetic or is he just kind of pathetic and that pathetic nature makes you feel bad for him? I don't know. Um, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I found him sympathetic. Uh, I, the way, and again, this does, it, a lot of it does come from what came Phoenix's performance, but uh, when he's spinning that sign out on the road, uh, he is doing it with such style and like he's really he's pouring his heart into being a clown spinning a sign out on the road because it's it's what he has and uh, it's it, he's not just showing off he's not just trying to keep his job it is an expression of of something that he is or is trying to be uh, and then that is promptly taken from him and that's where that's where the empathy comes in is that you see somebody who the children's hospital when he is on the phone for getting fired, and he says, no, no, I love this job. I believe him. I believe that he loved going there to entertain sick sick kids and, and you know, getting to dance around and, and all of it. Uh, and 
because of circumstances that are unfair, he doesn't get to do the the really modest things that allow him to survive and exist in society and to have even a little bit of of marginal space to be who who he is or who he wants to be. And be, because he's denied any sort of identity, um, he, he, he lashes out and he creates a, a new dangerous violent identity and that there is something empowering in that journey that I, I am uncomfortable with the wit to the degree to which I relate. That's the, the thing that people were afraid of with this movie. There was a certain backlash before it had even come out about people thinking that this is going to be the clarion call to school shooters and incel madmen and all of the usual, you know, nonsense, you know, the stuff of these kind of lunatics because these people do exist. Sure. These people are, there are people that are radicalized on the internet yeah. and go shoot up a nightclub or something like that. I'm not going to say that doesn't exist. It clearly does. I've just never been one to blame movies for that. No. Um, I mean, not when there's Trump tweets out there. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot more real things, but at the same time, is part of that criticism right? Because there's a there's a certain amount of of difficulty when you're translating a movie where the lead character is a villain. Um, I don't think we can. We I don't think we should have to you know water things down so much and make them dumb them down, make them obvious to the degree because there's always going to be somebody so stupid that they think that Jack Nicholson is the hero of a few good men. Yeah. No matter what. There's nothing you can do to make th- – there's people who are going to think that um, Tyler Durden is the hero of Fight Club or <laughs> that uh, Gordon Gecko is the hero of Wall Street because these are the people who give compelling speeches in the movie, who seem to be the most colorful and the most charismatic. And at, at, what, at what point – I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm just – what do you do when you're writing a movie where the lead character is a villain – that you make it clear that this person is the villain? That's a great question. I, uh, the last thing that I have to say about it is I there was a great a long time in the middle of this movie where I felt incredible sadness. And, I, you know, good art makes you feel something, and is sadness, melancholy, if it's done right in a movie, is can be awesome, can be amazing. But I still felt like... And it was, I think, largely because of Joaquin Phoenix's performance and the scenarios in which he finds himself in, where I was like, I didn't expect to come to a movie and feel this sad. And I just, I, maybe it, a Joker movie ha- uh, that talks about Joker has to be sad. I don't know. Um, it just was a strange turn to have a superhero movie make you feel that. Maybe that's something that makes it unique and special. But to me, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to watch this movie again. I don't. The way it made me feel was not... And it wasn't even – not even the slightest bit of it was the fact that it was the first movie that I have known in my life to have gone in where there was a police officer in the movie theater scoping out people who might be causing trouble. Um, I was just feeling sad in general for like the um, the emotions that it evoked around you about someone's life being so pointless, you know, and someone being so downtrodden. And that it's for a, for a superhero genre of a movie – it was a very strange effect on me and not not what I had been primed to get out of a superhero movie. Um, Which is not a bad thing. It's just, not a bad it's thing. Just, it's just not the way I wanted to come out of it feeling. It's. I mean, I, I, I like I – I want art to make me feel something. I think that's it. And I think that this – the experience of watching this is probably closer to watching Requiem for a Dream for me. Mm. Like I don't think I'm ever going to watch this again. 
It's, it's a grueling experience to watch because there's just so much fucking suffering in this movie that is so unrelenting and doesn't really offer you much respite or moments of humor very often. And it's just kind of like, wow, I experienced that. I don't know if I need to put myself through that again. Like I'm never watching Requiem for a dream again. And I could probably never Never again, Mike. No, I think I'm, I (laughs) think I've done, I'm done with Requiem for a dream, but I will watch Joker again. Hmm. Uh, Hmm. the, the, The journey of it, I found to be, to be powerful. It made me sad too, but, uh, it, Part of it is because the things that are most heartbreaking about the journey, the Joker's story, are real things. They're not. They're not special circumstances that apply only to this character. They happen to a lot of people and are happening to a lot of people today. Yeah, that it was you know where, where Joker's social ser- pro- services program gets shut down. That's that's Reagan's America. That did happen, mm-hmm. and right. that we a lot of the people that you see out on the street who are a danger to themselves or to to society or who are out there, and you, it's no fault of their own because they clearly just have something going on that they can't cope and aren't getting the support that they need. That that has happened and is happening, and it is really fucking sad. And that it can cause co- it can cause people who could have been okay, who could have been, you know. Who knows what they what the what might have happened to them? But instead, they're they're on the fringes and they cause problems sometimes for all of us. Um, and it it's it is a tragedy, and it definitely made me feel that. I, I still I, it just come it still comes back to me is um, how does if you write the second the sequel to this movie, how does adding <laughs> Batman to the to this equation? I don't even know if you can. How does it match up to what you've what kind of Joker and what kind of Gotham well, you've created? That's the thing is you've created a Batman movie that Batman is incompatible with the DNA of this movie mm-hmm. because the minute you have somebody who is as I don't know, Batman doesn't have superpowers, but to the degree that he's just better at everything than anybody. That he's like James Bond crossed with Bruce Lee, crossed with, you know, Sherlock Holmes. That he can do all of these things, but it seems just alien if that kind of character showed up in the world of Gotham City of this movie. It just would feel so fucking weird. And it would be like what we said with um, Chopping Mall. It just feels like overkill. <laughs> it just it feels like bullying if Batman shows up and starts punching this Joker. Well, this Joker, the thing is, this is a Joker origin. We haven't seen his worst atrocities yet. We saw him shoot a couple people with a handgun. And it's interesting because the, the violence is really visceral in this film, but the, the body count is actually pretty low. That's true. Um, but Joker, you know, late game Joker, if they, if they make another film in this, they almost have to wait. 10, 15, 20 years, right? Because uh, Bruce Wayne is is like eight in this in this film. Um, if they come around and, and, and take another crack at it, the Joker becomes truly monstrous. And he's not yet in, in this movie. Uh, you, you get to see him as kind of char- the charming side of him and the sympathetic side of him, but he hasn't started his own personal holocaust, you know? And he, he mm. will, like... Um, and that does require something extraordinary to stand up and 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 intervene. Now, if it's just Batman running around punching petty criminals and you know beating the hell out of of people who are just trying to make it by, then that's that's pretty gross. I think I don't know what it would look like, but I think that you could have a response to even this Joker that would make sense. Uh, that it doesn't have to go to that dark kind of place. But that being said, I don't I don't know. It almost it doesn't. 
I, I don't know how Batman fits into this movie. I don't no. it, like. There's two routes you can go. One is that Batman is overkill, and it just feels like this horrible rich man who beats the shit out of poor people. But on the other end of the spectrum, you ground Batman in a way that kind of makes him unflattering and pathetic. And I don't know if I want to see that. <laughs> uh, maybe I want to see some remorse from Batman, where you you feel like the actions that you have to take to stop violence in your society are necessary, but you think that they, even while you are doing them, you think that they're regrettable. You, that that would mm. be an interesting thing if you you have to stop these people because they're basically terrorists, or the, you know that they're they're going to hurt a lot of innocent people, but that you also understand that. The circumstances that put them there are shitty, and you feel bad for having to to beat the hell out of them or even kill them. Um, to bring that side of, of thoughtfulness, or that was something I'd like to see in a Batman. Uh, it, to me, this is, seems like the natural evolution of what you, where you get from the entire sort of Batman sphere if you evolve forward from Zack Snyder's contributions. So when last we saw Batman, he was saying things like, "I don't have to understand the world to save it," like. This part where, you know... By the way, that's not true. <laughs> this this piece where, like, the, uh you know, Batman is talking like a Fox News voter. Yeah. You know, like, a Fox News watcher and a red state voter or whatever and i'm like i don't think that's what batman is yeah i don't i don't think that he's a he exists in a world where he's like i don't understand it i mean i could almost respect somebody doing something that had that strong of a like i want to tear this thing apart and put an ugly cast on it and flip the whole thing around but i don't think that's what todd phillips is trying to do i think that there's implications that he's accidentally created in this movie because i it this I respect what this movie's trying to do more than I like it. I respect that it's trying to do something important and it wants to be a important movie says that says important things, but I don't think it understands those important things super well. And most of the things that pop up in it are kind of byproducts of a really great performance from Joaquin Phoenix, who does have a better understanding of what he wants this movie to say. And that the director is just kind of going with it because it feels like he wants to create these Scorsese movies from the seventies and eighties that he really loved. Cause he loves that tone of these big, important monumental movies, you know, like King of comedy or, uh, or uh, taxi driver or even death wish. Um, and he, he grabs pieces or there's a lot of pastiche in it, but I don't know if he, understands what made those movies great necessarily. I think he just loves the aesthetic of it because that's the part of the movie that he gets down really well is it feels like one of those movies, but I don't know if it says anything like those movies and at least not intentionally. And that's my big, big criticism. I, I do love, you know, I looked at some reviews and some commentary on it and every single one seems like they saw a completely different film. Hmm. Um, every single one took, you know, one of the saying the real villain is, ne- is, uh, like neoliberalism. And, uh, th- <laughs> by the way, that's actually true for real life. <laughs> um, the, the criticisms that they, that they had or the praise that they heaped on it. I, I think I read four or five articles and there were very few points that they all touched on. Hmm. Uh, I mean, they, they got some of the homages and things like that, that, you know, they, they mentioned, um, but they, they seemed like they drew very different lessons from it. And, Maybe its point isn't as cohesive in some ways as it could be, but there it's so layered in terms of what you can read into it that it makes for good discussion and good argument. And, and that's, I think, part of why it is such a runaway success right now. The word of mouth on it, from what I understand, is uh, 
is strong, and I think it's because it is provocative in that in it, that way. It is if you think about the sort of this the latest course correction for DCEU, uh, which the I guess the last course correction would have been Shazam, which was a largely positive. I think largely positive just for general watchability of their properties. This is a strange follow up to Shazam. Yeah, but it's not part this of the is, shared universe. It's oh, kind it of its oh. own little pocket. But it's, if okay, you but notice, it's, they don't even put the DC logo at the right. beginning of this movie. Uh, 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 granted, it's not part of the DCEU, you know, scare quotes, capital letters, or whatever. It's a DC movie mm-hmm. with DC characters in it. For, as a follow up to Shazam, it feels like a really, really, really strange thing to bookend. Or to to follow. I will say this, and I'm somebody who's very conflicted about this movie. I think that's better. I, sure. I'd rather have movies that aren't tonally sort of the same, where they feel like it's more of the creation of a group of producers who want to create a product that feels coherent from movie to movie, rather than I want to interpret the properties we own in all of these different ways that appeal to different audiences. I'm much more interested in standalone movies now. We've got 10 years of a massive shared universe project with Marvel, and I think it's great, but I don't want to create more of that. You know, I, you know I'd know, i rather just see movies that are allowed to have more of an artistic stamp and the fingerprints of its creator on it, that this doesn't feel like you know, something that would fit into a shared universe. And I think it's better for that. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't know. I, like I said, I am done with it. I don't, I've had people ask me about this movie and say like, is this good or is this bad? Is this better than this or worse than that? And my answer is like, it depends on what part of it you're talking about. There's parts of it that I don't like at all. And there's parts of it that I think are great. And it's that sort of thrown together haphazard feel that it feels like a movie that needed another writer to come in and do a draft of the script that would tighten it up, that would reaffirm what the themes of the movie are, even if you don't, I mean, I don't need like like a full on end of full house speech where they tell you the lesson (laughs) with the music playing underneath it. But I, I would like a greater sense that the creators had a very specific thing in mind. And that's probably part of the reason why all of those reviews read differently, because I feel like it's pulling. It feels like the movie's being drawn and quartered by all of these different themes that are pulling in all these different directions. And all of these different themes and all of these different ideas are grabbing different people differently. And it ends up creating kind of a. Oh, it's shapeless. A it's a bit. shapeless, yeah. ang- you know, loud sound and you just like oh god grab onto something that is the most resonant with me and it just i don't know i i i want it to be as good as a movie as it wants to be i want it to succeed i'm not i'm not somebody that roots against dc because i'm a marvel fanboy or any of that i like that they tried this movie i just don't think it was a success in the way that they want it to be it's not as smart as it wants to be it's not as deep as it wants to be but i kind of love that it wants to be that deep it's clearly it's it called it shot you know and it says you know it's pointing to the back of the stadium saying i'm gonna knock this shit out of the park and a lot of movies don't aim that high you know and i'm i'm glad this one tried you know, I, I've uh, the last thing I'll say about it is that I've seen this compared in a lot. As far as its ambitions are concerned, I've seen it compared to Logan in terms of sort of a movie that is a character study, a movie that is where it it wears its influences 
very much on its sleeves. You could tell, you know, Shane for Logan mm-hmm. and this one is a sort of a taxi driver, king of comedy sort of uh, thing. But they, and they also deep, deep cuts, deep, uh, deep character based cuts. And I, th- to me, that trend is good, right? To me, the trend of moving superheroes into this that are because this is nothing if not this is a thoughtful movie. Would you agree? Even if it's in, if thoughts become incoherent. I believe that this is a more thoughtful movie than Suicide Squad. Oh, that's that is really not much of it. That's not much of a goal, right? Right, but I mean, if we're comparing it to its contemporaries, yes, it's more thoughtful than Suicide Squad. <laughs> I, maybe I'm just pu- pulling at the you know, as you say, you find the things that resonate with you. Maybe I'm just in putting my own uh, narratives or my own beliefs onto it. But I, I found it to be fairly coherent. I, I, I the things that mattered to me in it. I thought strung along pretty well, seemed structured reasonably well. Um, I, I have no major complaints in that area. How much uh, is DC paying you, Patrick? <laughs> and you, you're one of them. <laughs> it is. I do. I do. My regret with it is that in, in its commentary on populism, that the the mob. I don't think it actually. There's no direct references to anything like Occupy or to Antifa, except for that those are sort of populist movements of our time. And that we're in an era where populism, you know, is is a big deal. And that there are, there are people's movements having to do with classism and stuff going on around the world and reaction to authoritarianism. And and that the, the mobs in this are very much sort of two-dimensional French Revolution Yes, you know, yeah. we're, we're out for blood, mm-hmm. and the idea that that could somehow reflect on the real world struggles of people who are, you know, what's going on in Hong Kong or what's going on. I mean, that's not classism, but still, right? Um, this movie does feel very much of its of its time. Some some of the there's a there's a lot of themes that we're wrestling with right now that I saw projected into this film, and I don't want people to use it to uh, to minimize the much more coherent ideologies that are driving people to to try and react against their, their society. Yes, that's that's exactly how I feel. I, I, it also just occurs to me now that uh, two elements that are n- normally common to stories about Gotham City either uh, don't exist here or barely exist here. One is the poli- Gotham City Police, in which you have two detectives that walk around, which is, by the way, Bill Pope and, uh, uh, what's his name? Shit, the guy from... What's that guy? Oh. He's from Boardwalk Empire. He plays the brother in Boardwalk I Empire. I still haven't seen he's, Boardwalk Empire. He's, he's everywhere. Um, Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggum and Bill Pope are the two detectives. Um, uh, Gotham City PD is almost non-existent in this movie. Mm-hmm. And also, organized crime. Almost non-existent in this movie. So, the, to me, you can't have Gotham City without a mostly corrupt uh, Gotham City police force with perhaps a few good actors in it and also organized crime. Well, I mean, those things could exist in this world. We just weren't... I, I know. Well, that's the thing. is It's strange to have that as an omission because they're almost obligatory. Well, Gotham City, what separates it from just being New York... Um, you remember that episode of Red Dwarf where there's like a machine that you zap an item and it turns it into its positive and negative things? Like you zap an apple and then it creates the most delicious apple that you've ever had and then... Right across from it is a second apple that is filled with worms and completely rotten. <laughs> it's like if New York City got zapped, Gotham City is the ugly, wormy one. And like Metropolis <laughs> with Superman is the, the 
clean version of New York where it's like these beautiful towers and art deco and it's just gorgeous. Um, Gotham City is the one with mob bosses and corrupt cops and gargoyles <laughs> and the bad guys all get locked up in an insane asylum and not just prison. So you, it's kind of like this carnival of, of death and scariness that you don't get in regular New York where this, this feels a bit like this is definitely going for taxi driver New York. They want to pull back the, the heightened elements of the comic books quite a bit. I did miss sort of the gothic feel a little bit. That's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, gargoyles and, and, you know, because Gotham City is nothing but slums and fancy charity galas. It's, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I did it's, appreciate having, um, the giant movie billboards of adult films, though. Yeah. You don't see that in movies at all. You just don't. But I love to be like, is that oh, another that's... thing to hate Giuliani for? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just have to say, large posters, uh, promoting adult films don't exist in, like cigarette machines. It's don't just, exist anymore. So they destroyed an entire industry of people that used to paint porno posters. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the Drew Struzan of porn. <laughs> it's a specialized skill. Yeah, yeah. You, you gotta know. You get. You paint a lot of mustaches when you <laughs> when you work in that field. A lot, a lot of sweaty bodies. You got a lot of sheen. Radio versus the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue. Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. You know, we're living in a society. We're supposed to act in a civilized way.